Hello and welcome to the Capable Body Podcast, bridging the gap between healthcare providers and real people with real stories. This is your host, Matt Viegas. Joining me in today's episode is Dr. Kyle Rice. All right, Dr. Kyle, can you please quickly introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, everybody. My name is Dr. Kyle Rice. I am a uh, physical therapist, and I also run the PT Hustle, which helps unlicensed physical therapists achieve a 700 or higher on their MPTE, which is the National Physical Therapy Examination, um, and do so so that they can finally get the money that they deserve and grow as a clinician. Boom. So, Dr. Kyle Rice, I know more about your story, but for the people who do not know you, uh, can you bring it back to the origins with why you got into the field of physical therapy first and foremost? Yeah, that's a that's a really good uh, starting point. So for myself, my family is just composed of a lot of healthcare professionals. Uh, my sister, when uh, I was younger, she was born with a rare lung condition, and she required. 24-hour nursing and physical therapy and so forth. So that was really my first touch point with physical therapy Um, and then being able to see her go from not being able to move out of her room to now being able to play like backyard football and baseball. So it was a really great um, transition and progression to see my sister um, go from that. And I really was able to see that physical therapist played a key role in, in getting her to that point. So that's what uh, you know really got my interest going with physical therapy, and I had that going through uh, um, high school as well. Um, but one of the major issues that I was really having in high school was the fact that I could not pass my ACTs and my SATs and all those good standardized exams. And so that was causing me to have a difficult time, of course, getting into any major university. And I was... Seeing all my friends get accepted to the major universities in the area. I lived in uh, Florida, so they were getting accepted to University of Miami or University of Florida. Um, and I was the one that was, was left behind, uh, you know, barely even able to get into the community college with my scores. So really, you know, I was given an opportunity by a FAMU that's in Tallahassee, Florida Agricultural Mechanical University. I was given an opportunity to go to that university and um, during the time I was able to apply myself well, graduated summa cum laude, um, you know, turn myself around as far as scores were concerned and all, all my tests, but I made a little transition while I was in undergrad. Um, I was always going through that track, you know, there's like concentrations for a person. Um, I was going through the pre-physical therapy concentration, but in my last year I decided that I wanted to go to medical school, mm-hmm. all right? And that was a big shift for me. Um, I, I shattered an orthopedic surgeon and I was like, you know, this is really what I wanna do. I don't wanna do physical therapy anymore. Um, and so I went off on the track of, of, you know, trying to get into medical school, but there was the MCAT, um, that's the medical comprehension assessment test. Uh, and that specific exam is required for you to get into medical school. And if you're not competitive, which it's very competitive, uh, if you're not competitive enough, you will not get into medical school. And now it might be a little different, but when I was coming through, if you didn't have a top score on that puppy, you were not getting in. Um, and so, you know, one of the issues that I was having was I was a chronic failure of standardized exams, right? 
chronic failure of that. And, and so I sat down for my first MCAT and I, and I failed it. And, uh, of course, you know, that kind of takes you back a little bit and, and, and you're upset and you're anxious and so forth. Um, but, uh, you know, I got back up and I was like, you know what, I'm going to try for this again because I really want to become a physician. So what I did was I studied hard and I went uh, for the next time. And I used one of those review classes and all that, you know, those courses that teach you everything you need to know. And they're yeah. like, yeah, well, it's a guaranteed pass, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, I took their course and I failed it a second time. And then I failed it a third. And then I failed it a fourth. And, you know, I really got into a bad uh part of my life where I had told everybody I was going to become an orthopedic surgeon, mm -hmm. right? My mom knew, my dad, my brothers, my neighbors. I mean, the entire world really knew because I was telling everybody beforehand that I was doing that. Um, and it got to the point where I didn't even want to go home anymore. Didn't right. want to go home because if I went home, everybody was going to ask me, hey, how's that MCAT? Are you in medical school yet? I didn't even want to go home for Thanksgiving anymore, Matt. Wow. Because, serious. because yeah. I knew what people were going to ask me about. And the worst part of it was, even if I didn't go home, I knew that my mom's co-workers were asking her. And my dad's co-workers were asking him, oh, how's your son doing in medical school? He should be about done with his first year by now, right? I'm sitting in my room, still studying for the MCAT. Mm -hmm. um, and so at this point, you know, I, I had gotten to a, a crossroad. I had actually sat down to take it for the fifth time. Again, did not do well on it. And when I say I failed it, it's really the fact that my score was staying the same. You can't really fail the MCAT. You just get a non-competitive score, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I was getting, you should be getting like 30s and up to a 45 on it. At the time, I was getting a 16, 17, you know, um, very low scores on that. But I ended up with this crossroad of, listen. I can't continue to do this forever, all right? I have to make a decision. And so I decided I was going to go to physical therapy school. And that's nice. really that, that bridge gap, you know, between where I had been before, this major desire for physical therapy. Then I had kind of shifted over to, to medical. And then now I was back on the road of getting into physical therapy. And so I went to a Florida International University in Miami, and that was how I got into physical therapy. Right. And then, of course, you couldn't escape standardized tests forever. So right. what happened from there going into PT school? Yeah. So, um, you know, I know some of you are thinking that, man, you know, you, you struggled and you went on a different route and you, you left medicine because you couldn't get over that MCAT. Well, it turns out that in my first year, I actually did get accepted into medical school. I got a call at the end of my first year and they told me, uh, listen, you got accepted to this program. We're ready to bring you in. Um, you were one of our last applicants because somebody dropped off the waiting list, right? And now you're accepted. Um, here's your opportunity. But I had just completed my first year of physical therapy school. And uh, the, the issue was the fact that, well, I was already, you know, tied in with my classmates. I love my classmates. I love the faculty. I love what we do as physical therapists. I fell in love with the profession. And so at that very moment, I turned, you know, I turned that opportunity down and I was like, no, this is actually what I really want to do. I was right the first time. Yes. Um, and so when I had gotten off the phone with her, 
it was a mixed emotions. I felt like, you know, excited because I was staying in PT. I felt a little upset because I was like, did I make the right or wrong decision by not going into medical school? Right? But then there was a different feeling at the same time. It was a third one. And it was this sense of fear. Because then I got the opportunity or, or there was that, that, that point in time where I started to think, wait, what comes after PT school? Like what happens when you graduate? And then it hit me, it dawned on me that there's a national physical therapy examination, the NPTE, a standardized test. The one thing that has caused me to fail at every single level of my education. Mm -hmm. And now I was staring down this barrel of $150,000 worth of debt and not being able to pass this exam. And again, everybody knows I'm in PT school. My mom knows, my dad knows, everybody's friend. I've been on Facebook, everybody knows. So what happens now? I get myself to that same situation of Kyle's the one who went through all this schooling and he didn't make it, right? Um, and so that's you know what led me to this crossroad as well. Mm -hmm. And so how did you approach the NPTE this time, knowing full well that this was the obstacle that would could be your block from being able to practice as a licensed physical therapist. Yeah, you know, that, that's, that's a good uh, question as well because in my education, and really in the majority of physical therapist education, we don't think about the MPTE at all, you know, during our training, right? We'll think about it towards the end when we're getting into our last year, um, but we really don't. And so I was actually starting to bring it up in my first year. Right at the end of that first year and going into the second. Um, and then I was getting a lot of feedback from some of the classmates, some of my um, uh, faculty members at the time saying, oh, don't worry about that. If you start thinking about the MPT this early, you're just going to be memorizing the stuff and you're going to forget it. So don't worry about that at this point. But I knew that I had something different. I had a different type of problem. And so what I did was I truly started at that point thinking about it, getting all my stuff organized and starting to prepare at a very early point. And what I really did differently is that I started studying before everyone else. I made sure that every single day I had something that I was learning that was going to be tested or likely to be tested on the exam. The one difference that I'll say is that by the time that I got down to those uh, two to three months that majority of students will start to study, by that point, I had already felt that I had all the knowledge to do exceptionally well on the exam. So then, because I had gotten to that point, I, was, I, I had this desire to, well, let me take this a step further. Let me learn the ins and outs of the system. So I learned, what is a standardized test? How did they create them? Why did they create questions and why are there four answer choices? I learned every single piece of anatomy, physiology, however you want to look at that, the inner workings of in a question. And I learned the process. Yes, yes. The process is not easy for being able to design those types of questions. And so I guess I've heard a little bit about that as a physical therapy student, but as the founder of the PT Hustle, what is it that you know now about how they make those questions and just this process with the standardized exam for people who do not know? 
Yeah, and so how they really make the questions is that there's an analysis of practice uh, that they call it. And what they do is there's this organization called uh, the FSBPT. And what, what they really do is they survey clinicians, right? And they're trying to figure out what are the major topics, what are the major, I should say, conditions that you're really seeing in PT. And they're, they're going to do that survey every five years, trying to figure out, you know, what is it that you're really seeing in the clinic so they can start to develop questions that are consistent with what we're seeing, right? And they're basing that off of the first six months, the entry level six months of a physical therapist practice. And so they develop this thing called a blueprint, which is really all that is, is uh, telling you how much or how often you see certain concepts or certain topics in physical therapy, right? So you might have an area like um, you know, musculoskeletal, which is muscles and bones and so forth, and, and, and the knowledge related to the physiology and the anatomy of those things and so forth. And so all that's telling you is how often we work with that in the clinic. And so we have a set of people, they're usually volunteers or faculty members, and their job is to create questions in that department, in the department of the musculoskeletal system, anatomy, and, and so forth. Yes, absolutely. And so for students who are in school now, I know being one of your students as my coach, uh, what are some recommendations that you have for them sort of being in your shoes back when you were in school and some advice for them as far as how they can try to address the anxiety component and then also being able to focus on their studies through school. Yeah, you know, I would say that, you know, I'm somebody who has had a lot of anxiety. It's the, the first step, you know, if I was really talking to myself, to be honest with you, would, would be to say, you know what, you have to be aware of the anxiety first. A lot of times what we'll do is we try to uh, deny it, deny that we have that, or try to completely just get over it, like oh, just overcome it. But that's just not the way anxiety works. Anxiety sits in the background and it affects your way of thinking, it affects your performance, regardless of whether you're trying to overcome it or not. And when I say overcome, I really mean that you're trying to ignore it. You're not truly overcoming anything, right? Um, and so the first thing is to be aware that this is what I have. This is anxiety. And it is a problem, but it's not something to be ashamed of. Because anxiety is a very common thing. I would say that, and I don't have a statistic on this, but I would say 99.9% .9 of the people out there have anxiety of some form right? In some part of our lives. So that's the first step. You have to be aware of the problem and you have to uh, uh, take on that problem be like, okay, yeah, this is the issue. I want to do something about it. But you, you hear me, Matt, right now, because I said that, you know, you have to want to do something about it first, right? You have to be aware of the issue and then you got to want to do something about it. Because if you're at the, the point of where, yeah, you understand that it's there, but you're not ready to take action against it. Well, then that's where we stop. Right. All right. So you ask yourself that question right now. Is this something that it's bothering me so much that I want to do something about it? Because if you do, there are a lot of great resources out there. The number one recommendation that I make to a lot of my students 
is that they go see a test performance psychologist. Some people may shy away from that. Oh, I don't, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, shame or stigma in going to see some type of mental health counselor or something like that. Listen, the person that tells you that they don't have anxiety is lying to you. This is very common. And those people who just sit with anxiety and let that affect their performance, well, your performance is just going to be affected until you get to that point where it's so painful for you. It bothers you so much that you want to do something about it. You want to take action. Exactly. So the first thing that I would really do is, again, be, become aware of the issue. Be honest with yourself. I have this issue. Ask yourself then, am I ready to do something about it? Right? And at that point, if you are ready to do something about it, seek the help that you need. Don't just try to do it yourself and, you know, let's see if this works. There are actual professionals out there that can help you solve this problem quickly and get you back to your optimal performance. Why wait? Exactly. And so a follow-up question to that for students. We all come from different physical therapy schools. Some may feel that certain areas of, say, musculoskeletal, cardiopulmonary, or neuro, neuromuscular, that some areas students may individually feel weak, and they could attribute that partly in the way they were taught certain content. So how would you speak to those students as far as trying not to let necessarily the way their professors taught a certain subject affect their performance on that section within the MPTE? I think I need you to rephrase that one. Sure, sure. So I'm going to speak from experience with my classmates just based on how when we took a O'Sullivan prep mm -hmm. course at school, mm -hmm. uh, there were definitely a lot of sort of oohs and ahs in terms of we're taking this uh, sort of clicker, clicker multiple choice question. And when this section came up, and just how we felt as students when we were doing uh, one of the courses. I won't throw it under the bus, which subject it is, but how we felt during that one course. You could definitely hear the oohs and ahs and how we were trying our best to respond and then noticing the outcome actually wasn't as bad as we had thought for that section. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess how would you sort of explain some of uh, try not to let certain things get to students that they might be feeling a certain way about a topic, but trying to actually go through practice questions with that section and see where they truly stand, and then mm -hmm. trying to break it down from there. I got you, I got you. So, you know, that, that's, that's a really interesting thing because a lot of times we doubt ourselves, right? We, we may feel like we're just not good at a specific area, like you said, neuromuscular, musculoskeletal, and so forth, like, oh, uh, well, my teacher wasn't that good, you know, as far as cardio palm or, you know, whatever it is. And so you feel that you're not prepared for the area. But here's the deal. The one thing that changes standardized scores significantly is the person's level of confidence. There's that science, it's fact. All right. And so if you are already getting to the point where you feel as if 
oh, I'm just not good at this area because I wasn't taught well or I didn't pay attention in class or whatever. If you're already having that negative mindset towards it, your score is automatically going to be less. Right. And so you're automatically putting yourself in a position to just start scoring lower, period. So what I would what I would really do is this. I would try to be as positive as possible with every single question and understand that if you fail at something, right, these little failures like, oh, I got a practice question wrong or I got a question wrong in this this specific test. Note that that is not a bad thing. Failure is not bad. Failure is an opportunity to course correct and then succeed on the next attempt. And so every time I get a score back from a student on a practice exam, they're like, oh, man, I, I went up three points, but, you know, I'm still like way far from the cutoff at this point. And they're down on themselves. I'm like, listen, you, the, the questions that you got wrong are letting us know exactly like what the problems still are. It's great to get the stuff wrong now so we can succeed in the future. Don't pay attention. Don't pay attention so much to the short game. And I think that this is really key, Matt. Mm -hmm. A lot of people pay attention to the short game. Instant gratification. I want the 800 today. I want the 700 today, right? But the issue is the fact that we're all on a journey for a final outcome that we're trying to get to. This is a marathon. So today, if you're working towards that end goal, it's like, long as you're making steps towards that, we're on the right train. Just because you didn't get the score that you're looking for today, a lot of times we don't meet our goals. It's all right. But the big thing is making sure that we're going towards that end goal of getting what you want. Exactly. And so this message is more geared towards the individuals who took the NPTE during the April examination, especially students who make that decision to take the exam early. How would you speak to those individuals who see all the other students posting pass 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 and then they get their results and unfortunately what they receive is something different uh, how would you speak to those students who have failed the NPT either once or multiple times gotcha. well you know I will say from uh, a long history of, of failing over and over again what we need to do is stop first, you know, staying away from this idea of failure. And we're tiptoeing around that idea of failure as if it's something like truly negative. And again, you know, I just spoke to that point that failure is not necessarily a negative at all. It's really what you do after the failure. And so if you are someone who failed straight up, you failed the exam, right? Uh, that's not... A, a, a result that defines your life. That's not a result that defines even where you are at currently. All right. The, the, the thing is the fact that you got that result and now it's a opportunity for you to course correct and succeed on the next attempt. I've told many of people the same thing and I'll tell every single one of you the same. You know, I went through 11 failures on standardized tests. 11, 11 standardized tests I've taken over my career actually took a little bit more of them now, but I've failed 11 times. The average student takes about six standardized tests in their life. I've failed 11 of them. All right. That means I was taking things double and triple times, right? Okay. So here's the deal. Had I not had that many failures and had I not per, uh, 
you know, got to the point where I performed well on the NPTE and got that perfect score on the NPTE, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. I would not be helping people to pass the NPTE today. And so you may look at that failure as if, oh, that's defining me, right? I, I, I can't go to that next level. But that, that failure is there for a reason, to help you learn something in order to provide for the rest of your life. You never know what that failure is going to open up as far as the doors and opportunities. Exactly. And to sort of bring it closer to the end on a happier note, can you sort of elaborate on something that I know about, but the phone call that you made to, I believe it was the FSBPT, about how your score must have been incorrect. Yes, yeah. So, um, you know, when I uh, got my score, um, I was sitting there with uh, now my wife, Andrea, and we were sitting down, and of course, you know, you're really fearful about doing that whole thing, and and I, I wanted to see what the actual score was, and we opened it up, and it had said an 800 on it, and, uh, you know, it had 800s down the page, and it just looked weird, you know, because it was, why is there, like, 800s going down like that? It, there must be some type of mistake, and so... I, I was like, yeah, I don't think it's right. And my wife was like, oh, yeah, I actually think that that's exactly what it is. And I was like, no, it can't possibly be. And so uh, I literally, you know, called up FSBPT that day within three minutes of looking at that. And I had to talk to like five different people trying to figure out because I would not get off the phone. I truly would not get off the phone until I heard from some type of upper level official that this was actually true. And so I went through a receptionist and she was like, yeah, the what you see is there. And I'm like, no, no, can you please, you know, is there like a manager? And at the time I didn't know what the FSBPT, you know, really was a structure. But I was like, you know, is there a manager? Is there like a some level of an official? and so she passed me on to somebody else and I didn't really like their title don't tell them that um, but then I was like oh can I talk to somebody else and you know after all of that come to find out you know that was the real deal and so after all these years of failing I had gotten to the point where I mean I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life you know but I would go through every single one of those failures again to get to here. Right. And did you end up telling your parents and your family about that? Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> they they uh, they found out um, and, you know, immediately my mom was saying to print out the, the sheet that had my scores on it so she could put it up in the house. It's in the house today. So, yeah, they're, they're super. super nice. Happy. And then is there any additional piece of advice that you would like to share with anyone out there? sharing similar struggles or anything else that you know now being a coach? Yeah, for sure. Um, what I would say is that in my past, I always would do it myself, right? I would always like be prideful and like, I got this, I'm smart, I know enough and, and so forth. I, I can get through this. But a lot of times we don't reach out enough to people, right? We don't try to like build a team around us of people who can help us succeed. And so the, the one piece of advice that I would give you today is that if you're trying to do things yourself, if you've failed the exam before, or if you're in a part of your life where you just feel like you're not moving forward anymore, go out there and seek out someone 
who can help you go to that next level. Even if that person is not necessarily the president of the United States, right? It's just someone that you're looking at that maybe they have the same things that you want in life, right? They've already achieved it. Look at someone who's successful. Ask them, you know, what would be your next step? Open up to those people and see what they have for you. You know, sometimes you will be amazed at what you really get out of that opportunity. Beautiful. And so if people enjoy what they hear, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, so I, I live on Facebook now for, for all my students. And you can find me primarily on Facebook um, at the PT Hustle. So if you search that out, you can also find me on the free Facebook group called Smart NPTE Prep. Um, I also have a website that you can figure out or find out all my different services that I have for one-on-one -on -one coaching for students trying to pass the MPTE, um, and that is theptehustle.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Carl Rice, for hopping on the Capable Body Podcast. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in, and you have, if you have not already done so, please join the capable body community facebook group for more behind the scenes footage all right adios have a good one